For all of you who are watching online today, I want to say that you are welcome to be worshiping with us. And for all of us, would you take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And we are going to uh, jump right in here with this passage that we've already been studying. We're going to spend, uh, last week we started in this passage, actually a couple of weeks we started ago, we started in this passage. And today we're going to continue studying. We'll be in it again next week as we really pull apart what it looks like for the church to utilize the spiritual gifts. And what are the spiritual gifts? We're going to continue talking through that today and, um, and, and in the next week or two. Let's start reading Ephesians chapter 4, and I'm going to invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word. We're going to read starting in verse 1 all the way through verse 16, just to help us understand the context of what's taking place here. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood." to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human, human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That's the, may God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. We're going to work to kind of process through this today, and, and we're going to kind of be, we're, we're, we're looking at this thing with a big picture in mind, okay? I want to start from the very beginning tell you, we're looking at this with a big picture in mind today. You know, when, in, in biblical times, um, when a king would defeat a very specific nation, okay, maybe it was um, Israel going against Syria or Babylon going against Israel, whatever it was, when this king would defeat the nation, there would inevitably come with that victory a level of, of spoils, the spoils of, of war. The king's reward uh, would be monetary, absolutely, he would grow in riches from that defeat, but then his his um, his his reward is also a little bit different. His reward was simply that forever people would know him as the king that defeated that other nation. His name would go down in history books. So, so his, his reward would be both monetary and it would be in honor. He would grow in those two things. Um, however, every single good king would know that in defeating that nation, there was a number of people whose loyalty to him would have been a part of actually seeing that victory come about. Some people were heavily influential in that win. So the king would lavish on his armies these gifts, these these spoils of war, 
So the riches that would be captured by the king in that victory would be split up among the people who served with the king. Now I want you to take that picture and I want you to translate it to Jesus as the victorious king. We talked last week about how once he had finished his job here on earth, he ascended to heaven, taking with him the host of captives, right? That he, he, had, he had ensured our victory. So carry that picture of the victorious king, Jesus, with him. And what he does is he lavishes gifts among those who are loyal to him and are a part of his victory over sin and Satan. Now here's the cool part. If you are a Christian... You are a part of that victory. So Jesus liberally, he, he lavishes gifts on you. Now listen, those gifts are not monetary gifts, and they're not going to build your bank account, um, but they do increase the spiritual currency that brings glory to God and that you will one day see firsthand when you get to heaven. As we talked about last week, there is coming a day in which you will get to heaven. If you're a Christian, you will, you will go into heaven and you're not going to be judged for your sin because Jesus has already been judged and paid the penalty for your sin. But you are going to be judged based on how you use the gifts that were given to you by Jesus. That's the judgment that you will experience. So the person that's been faithful to use their gifts are the ones whose reward is going to be great. But the person who has neglected to use their gifts, that's the person who's going to receive less rewards because they disobeyed God in their, in their neglecting of those gifts. You know, Jesus taught about this in Matthew chapter 25. In fact, if you have your Bibles, take your Bibles and turn to Matthew 25. I'm going to read for us a parable that Jesus told that kind of illustrates this idea of using this, these gifts wisely. Matthew chapter 25, I'm going to start reading in verse 14. Jesus' teaching says this, For it will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants together and, and, and entrusted them to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he had, who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and he settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Verse 22. And he also who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest." So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. 
For to everyone who has, who has will more be given, and he will have an, an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now in this story, Jesus is illustrating what it means to wisely use the gifts that God has given. You see, for the person who's faithful, their reward in heaven is going to be great. But for the person who is not faithful, where there's no fruit whatsoever, there's no proof there of of true salvation. You see, one of the proofs of a genuine relationship with God through Jesus is that the Christian faithfully uses the gifts that's been given to them by God. Now, comfortable Christianity, and oftentimes the kind of Christianity that we see here in North America, the the comfortable Christianity says, you know what, I can go and I can attend church and I can give every now and then, and you know, God is okay with me. God is okay with that. But that is a highly inaccurate understanding of how God works. Now, I'm not saying in any way that that works is what's going to save you. But in both Matthew chapter 7 with Jesus teaching there and then in James chapter 2, we find that the proof of salvation is found in our faithfulness to act based on our faith and to, to be willing to use the gifts that God has given us. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7. He says, you can tell a person is his disciple by the fruit that they bear. In other words, you can tell that this person is my disciple by the fruit that they bear. You jump to James chapter 2, and here's what James has to say. He says, faith by itself, and if it does not have works, so let me try that again. Faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. It's meaningless. There's no meaning to it here. Uh, You may have heard the statement before, you are not saved by your works, but you are saved to work. That's how it works, okay? You're not saved by your works, but you are saved to work. And I'll add on to that, that's how it works. That's how Christianity works. It's biblical for a Christian to serve God in a tangible way once they're saved. And it's understandable too. Look at everything that God has done for us. Look at the salvation he has offered us. So it makes sense for us to serve him after we've been saved. There's there's two reasons why I wanted to start out here by talking about faithfully using our gifts. And and here's the first reason. That is that if we ignore or misunderstand the spiritual gifts, then we defile the gift. Then we defile the gift. You say, what do you mean by that? And here's, here's what I mean. Let's say that you receive an extravagant Christmas present, okay? Um, the, the kind of present that is to be used, the kind of present that's to be put on display for other people to see. And in front of the person you gave it, who gave it to you, you're, you're thankful, you're, you're excited about it. But as soon as that person is not around anymore, you, you take and hide it away. You put it away where it can't be seen, can't be displayed at all. It, it's just hidden away. Now, when you hide that gift away, you're defiling it because its value and its purpose is so great that it was meant to be put on display for people to see You know, if we are not faithful with the spiritual gifts that we are given, then we're doing the very same thing. We defile that spiritual gift because its value and its purpose is for something that's much greater than what we're currently doing with that gift. Jesus paid for that gift with his life. That's the value. 
He paid for the gift with his life. That's the value. We are to use that gift for the glory of God and for the building up of the church. That's the purpose. So there you see the value and the purpose of the gift. Jesus paid for the gift with his life. That's the value. The purpose of it is for us to put it on display for the building of the church and the glory of God. All right? Secondly, it is through spiritual gifts that Jesus leads his church. It's through spiritual gifts that Jesus leads his church. We see this all throughout the the New Testament epistles, starting right here in Ephesians chapter 4. In uh, in other places, we find lists of spiritual gifts that are given to believers in general. All right, we're going to talk about those here in just a moment. But here in Ephesians chapter 4, there's some very specific gifts given to specific people. Verse 11, it'll be on the screen for you here. Here's what it says. And he gave the apostles. Other translations says, uh, say that he gave some to be, okay? He gave some to be. I believe that's a more accurate translation than the ESV here. He gave the apostles, what we read in the ESV, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. Why? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Now, these are the roles. These are four roles of the equippers of the church, the equippers of the church. There's the apostle. The apostles were the ones who were sent out by Jesus to launch the New Testament church. The disciples were apostles. Uh, Paul was an apostle by way of the commissioning that Jesus gave him on that road to Damascus. He was an apostle also. There's the prophets. The New Testament prophets were the ones who proclaimed the word of God boldly. You've got to remember the early church did not have the Bible as we have it right here. They didn't have the ability to open it up and to see the Word of God. So the prophets were the ones who authoritatively spoke the Word of God through the inspiration of of the Holy Spirit. That's the prophets that's being talked about there. Now, I'll pause here and say this. I, I, I firmly believe that there are no more apostles and prophets in the church. This is a first generation characteristic. This is what was needed in that first generation Christianity. These apostles and these prophets were desperately needed. But then these other two roles that we see here, the evangelists and the shepherds and teachers, they are roles that we see now in our churches. So you get to the evangelist, and the evangelist is the person who is on the move. They are, they are taking the gospel to different groups of people. They don't always stay there and pastor a church, but they are evangelists in that they take the gospel, and then they rely on the Holy Spirit to bring along someone else who can shepherd and teach the people who have been saved. And that brings us to the, the last group here, the shepherds and the teachers. You say, it looks like two different groups. No, it's, it's just one. In fact, the apostle Paul joined these two, two together in the Greek when he wrote Ephesians chapter 4. He joined them together, shepherds and teachers. Shepherds and, and teachers are the ones who, who are our pastors today. The gift of shepherding is seen in people who look out for the spiritual welfare of other people. The teacher is the one who is instructing members and Christians in the truths and doctrines of God's Word for the purpose of building up, of unifying, and of maturing the body. Now, these are spiritual gifts that are given here in Ephesians chapter 4 that describe the equippers of the church. The shepherds and teachers there, I told you, they're referring to what we call pastors. It's what we today call pastors, elders in the church. But let me say, listen, you don't have to be a pastor or to be in full-time Christian ministry to have the gift of evangelism or the gift of shepherding and teaching. You can have those gifts without being a pastor. You can be an evangelist without being a traveling evangelist. 
And I'm going to give you a very tangible example here from within our church. And I'm going to embarrass somebody, um, but they deserve to be embarrassed, okay? Bob Witte. Bob is an evangelist. I don't know if you've ever been anywhere with Bob Witte, but he shares Jesus with anybody he comes in contact with. Now, is Bob called to be a full-time evangelist that goes around and, and that's his vocation? No. But Bob takes seriously his call to evangelize. And because he has the spiritual gift of evangelism, he simply lives that out. Wherever he goes, he lives out that spiritual, that spiritual gift that, that God has given to, to Bob. Now, you may say, well, you know what? God has gifted me with the, the spiritual gift of discernment, not evangelism. Does that give me an out? I don't have to evangelize? No. Because the Holy Spirit still prompts you to evangelize. Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit still prompts you periodically to utilize a spiritual gift that maybe you wouldn't call your own, that, that you utilize regularly. Anytime the Holy Spirit bumps our comfort zone and says, I want you to follow through in this way, we are to obey him and to follow through with that. Every single spiritual, uh, excuse me, every single Christian has at least one spiritual gift to be used for the building up of the church. Now, throughout the Old Testament, excuse me, the New Testament, here's some of the spiritual gifts that are found. Okay, I'm going to read through some of these and give you a little bit of a description. There's leadership, spiritual gift of leadership. There's, this is a, 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 somebody who aids the body of Christ by leading and directing them to accomplish goals and purposes in the church. Uh, leadership motivates people to work together in unity toward common goals. There's the spiritual gift of administration. This is somebody who, um, who is gifted to lead the, the body by steering others to remain on task. Okay, here's the, here's the big picture vision. Here's how we get there. Sometimes it's a detail-oriented person. There's the gift of knowledge, and that manifests itself in teaching and training and discipleship. This is the God-given ability to learn and to know, to comprehend, and then to explain the truths of God's Word. A word of knowledge is a spirit-revealed truth. There's wisdom, and that's the gift that discerns the work of the Holy Spirit in the body of, of Christ, and, and, and it applies his teachings and his actions to the needs of the body. There's the spiritual gift of discernment that I mentioned a couple of moments ago. Discernment is, is, is one of those people who can recognize the true intentions of people within the body of Christ or maybe related to the body of Christ. This is discernment is, is, the, is the person who tests the message and thinks about it, and the, they test the action of other peoples, of other people, for the protection, the well-being of the body of Christ. There's exhortation. There's some people who are really good at exhorting, hey, let's go, let's encourage, I'm going to encourage you, I'm going to be enthusiastic about the work of the Lord, so, so they exhort us to, to move forward. Oftentimes, they're good counselors, they're good motivators. There's the, the spiritual gift of faith. You know, some people just have the, the, the ability to be excited about what God can do in the middle of insurmountable odds. It looks like it's impossible, but I know God can do this. They have the gift of faith. There's the service and helps. These are people who just step up to the plate and they are faithful to serve. And oftentimes, the service and helps, they're the ones you don't see. They're the ones who are behind the scenes and they are carrying out the, the mission and building up the body of Christ in ways that we don't see. Mercy. 
This is the person who cheerfully has compassion on other people. They empathize with hurting church members. This is the person that keeps the body of Christ healthy and unified by making sure that other people are aware of the needs within the church. There's the spiritual gift of giving. This person gives freely and joyfully towards the work and the mission of the body of Christ. There's the gift of hospitality. People with this gift, um, they have the ability to just make you feel welcome. And maybe they invite you into their home. Maybe, you, maybe they meet you when you come to a church service like this, but they have the gift of hospitality. Now, these are spiritual gifts that are given to believers, and it is through these gifts that Jesus leads his church in the mission that he has given them to go and make disciples. Now, I want to tell you, this is not an exhaustive list. Um, for example, I believe that encouragement is a spiritual gift. And contrary to popular, popular opinion, the spiritual gift of sarcasm is not a spiritual gift. Okay? Some of you talk about the spiritual gift of sarcasm. It's not a spiritual gift, so don't tell me that. I want to wrap up today here, and, and I want to talk for just a moment about the spiritual gifts in light of our church's philosophy of ministry. Let's talk about this for a moment. A lot of, a lot of people think that the pastor is the one who builds the church, or the pastors are the ones who do the ministry. When a person goes into the ministry, the Lord calls them into the ministry, that means that they are the professional Christians. They are the ones who have the education. They're the ones who are gifted in the art of Christianity, right? Well, wrong. The way Jesus has designed his church is for the pastors to be the equippers, the saints, the Christians, to be the ministers. The pastors, the elders are the equippers. The Christians are the ministers. Never should a church come together to bask in the gifts of one leader and rely on that leader to be the professional catch-all Christian. That's not how it's designed at all. A church is meant to be a group of people who are empowered to be leaders themselves, using the unique giftings that they have been given by God to carry out His mission on this earth. And I want to tell you that if I or any of our pastors ever give you the impression that the success of this church rides on us, then I am genuinely sorry, because that is not at all how it's supposed to work. The fulfillment of the mission is going to come through you as a church, through the individual believers who take seriously the command from Jesus to go and make disciples. That's where the success is going to come from. We say you are sent at the end of every church service, and that's not a cliche statement. That is a reality. You really are sent. Go. Take the gospel. Live out your spiritual gifts. You know, I kind of get the feeling sometimes that, um, that we think we're kind of like Golden Corral Christians. Now, I'll tell you right from the beginning, I don't like Golden Corral, all right? So I'll just carry that, that, that in, into this illustration with you, okay? A golden corral Christian has a whole lot of variety, but they're really not good at anything at all. All right, sometimes that's what we think. We're, we're like the golden corral Christian. But on the other side of that, you've got the Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. Now, a friend of mine was at Ruth's Chris last night, and he texted me a picture of his steak. And I thought of this illustration way before he did that. And he also put it on Facebook. But listen, Ruth's Chris knows what they're about. They make good, they don't make, but they cook good steak, right? 
you know when you go to Ruth's Chris that you are going to get a quality steak. Now, you've got to have a gift card to eat there, but you know what you're going to get. You're going to get quality when you go. Now, what's the difference between a Golden Corral Christian and a Ruth's Chris Christian? What if? Because remember, Jesus has designed his church in such a way where all the giftings that are needed for that church are found in the individual members of the church. What if we all decided that we were going to be Ruth's Chris Christians? That means that we find out how we're gifted. God, what is my spiritual gift that you've given me or gifts that you have given me? And we really focus on carrying out that gift or those gifts in the church. Instead of trying to be everything for everybody, we just focus, you know what? Here's my giftings. I can step up to the plate in some other ways, but here's what I'm going to focus on. I truly believe that our church would be revolutionized for the glory of God and the good of both our church and our city if we became Ruth's Chris Christians. I really believe that. Now, when we come back to Ephesians chapter 4 here in two weeks, we're going we're to talk about what it means for us to grow up and mature as Christians, to actually live these spiritual gifts out. For this week, I just want to ask that if you don't know already that you seek to find out your spiritual gift. And then once you know what Jesus has gifted you with, what he has blessed you with, then you go and you live that out for the glory of God and for the building up of his church. Fair enough? Let's pray. Father, I pray that um, we be focused on the supernatural spiritual gifts that you have blessed us with. Father, may we seek to find out what those are. You have equipped some to be the evangelists and the pastors, shepherds, and teachers. You have called some to be the equippers. Oh, but Father, you have called all of us as Christians to be the ministers, to take the spiritual gifts that you have given us and to live them out in this world. So may we do so faithfully. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the challenge today from your word. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.